You've seen them wreak havoc on Earth. Balls. Those two eggs are the last two eggs. You are instructed to place the eggs in the pot. The last two eggs were launched into orbit. It won't scan. I can't tell you what's inside. And now they're having a blast. He's going for the pod. In outer space. That's the careers! I'm a bounty hunter. You've been floating around in that pod for over half a century. The killer hairballs have relocated. Congratulations, Charlie. You just murdered the ship. Get another ship. It's the only ship, you idiot. And have a new place to play. What are these? Those are eggs. They've been busy. They're dining from an all-new menu of cosmic cuisine. You know those um man-eating hairballs that you do not believe in? They are real close. <laughs> But they'd rather eat on Earth. I propose that we just hole up here and wait for them to come rescue us. Our company! Hey, hold. Where are the eggs? You do not come in here with your goddamn stormtroopers. Someone must cooperate. Did I hear you wanted these? The eggs. These are the last ones. Critters full. They're invading your space. Chill out, asshole. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, the horror movie podcast that is covering every single horror movie franchise, one entry and one episode at a time. We are also part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcast Network, uh, hooks to a number of great shows, including our friends at Spencer's of Horror. I am your host, Mike Snoonian, and I am joined tonight by my fantastic co-host, Jerry Smith. Jerry, how are we doing? Like you said, I am fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you know, like we, we've had so much fun talking about the Critter series so far. Uh, it, it's interesting that we're finally at Critters 4, which is... I was going to say, now the check comes due. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, like, I, I... Oh, man. You know, with the Halloween films or the Friday the 13th films, it took quite a few movies before it kind of, like, went the weird direction. Mm-hmm. But Critters 4, oh, man. Yeah. Critters 4... Oh, we got more out of it than we did The Lost Boys, at least. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, Critters, you know, we have I, that. It'll never be the tribe. It will never be the tribe. You're absolutely right. So I thought before we would talk about the movie tonight, though, you know, we generally stick to the films, although I think a pretty good amount of our personality and personal lives kind of come through in the show. They kind of make their way into it overall. Uh, And I know that I am very guilty of, like, sharing far too much on Twitter and social media at times, so which is a habit I should probably knock off. But um, I kind of wanted to get a, you know get a feel for how you're doing over there in Los Angeles, and maybe update listeners how things are doing over here uh, as we're recording this. For me, it is day three of social isolation. Oh man, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
you know, I, I live just about a couple hours just outside of L.A., so it's not as bad. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty gnarly. I mean, all the schools are shut down now, uh, which, I mean, I, I think is everywhere at this point. Yeah. Uh, my kids are going to be home for a month at least. Wow. Which, I mean, I make the joke, uh, but, I mean, I'm 100% serious this time. I, think I just don't want them home. <laughs> right. it's, like two or, it's like two or three days in, and it's just like – now, I, it's not that I want to strangle them. It's just that I want to strangle them. And right. also, I mean, no, but I mean, in all seriousness, it, it's such an interesting time for, I think, everybody. And especially like last night or yesterday, my wife and I went out because we had to go grocery shopping. You know, we, we needed food and stuff. And I think we went to five places looking for toilet paper. Yo, jeez. Like, and we and we even like where people are like go to Office Depot, go to Staples, and those places were out. Uh, w- my wife went in because uh, it was so busy that most of us had to stay in the car for a couple places, and my wife just went in because it was just so gnarly. And this lady bought every thing of toilet paper while these older women, uh, my wife, everyone was just standing there like, what is going on? And this lady mm-hmm. bought everything of toilet paper, ran out to her car, put it in and drove away. Like we had to go to a corner store, kind of like one of those get and goes to get toilet paper, single, mm-hmm. single, single ply or single ply, single roll toilet paper. And it's usually 79 cents. If you need to get it, it was like over two bucks each one. Ugh. Like yeah. it's, it's insane. It's very gross. And I think that this, to be quite honest, this caught a lot of shops unaware because I know now they're putting in measures so that people can't buy, you know, 20 rolls of toilet paper or 20 yeah. packages of 12 rolls uh, and then leave people without. Um, ironically enough, like I bought like a 12 pack two weeks ago that's just sitting in my trunk because you were running low. And when I did that, my wife ordered from Amazon like two twenty-four packs because they were on special. She's like, eh, you know, this way we don't have to worry about, we weren't even thinking about, oh, this is going to be a run. So yeah. we're, pre- you know, like we just got like more than usual, like at the beginning of March, um, but by no means like an insane amount, you know, a fairly reasonable amount of toilet paper, even for someone like myself that um, has a high fiber diet and poops a lot. Uh, you know, it, it's it's weird though because like never in my wildest dreams would I ever imagine that like uh, we would live in a time like this, and which mm-hmm. I maybe that speaks to a lot of our ignorance. Mm-hmm. But like, it's so weird to walk into my kids' room and be like, "Listen, guys, we only have nine rolls of toilet paper left. I need you guys to use sparingly until stores yeah. are able to replenish." You know what I mean? Well, like, it's 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 odd. Ted Gagan, who the director of We Are Still Here in Mohawk, um, had a real you know had a really fun observation. He's like, he's never going to be able to watch like an apocalyptic horror movie again where our intrepid crew goes to the local corner store or grocery market and they go in like say two weeks after shit has hit the fan and see like all these like stock shelves of supplies he's like nope that's the most unbelievable part of the whole story at this point because of what we're seeing right now it's tragic it's tragic to me because 
I have my own opinions on the entire thing. I think it's a very important and it's a very uh, it's very important to take precautions and do this kind of self-isolation, self-quarantine kind of thing mm-hmm. until something's figured out. But I do think the worst danger in this entire thing, I think, is humanity. Because, I, I mean, it's – I remember when 9-11 happened, you know, and maybe it was different in other locations. But where I lived, within a week or two, it felt like everyone was banding together for mm-hmm. – you know, it felt so good, so mm-hmm. good. And now it's kind of the opposite. Like – like it sickens me to see stories of people buying whole storage facilities full of the necessary things and selling them for like twenty bucks each. So, I I think that what we didn't have after nine eleven was smart cameras, smartphones, and basically everybody can record any bit of life at any given moment. And yeah. Yeah. I actually feel from most of what I've seen, pretty heartened by how people are reacting. I mean, you have you have sporting leagues like the NBA, the NHL, MLB, who before it even started to really ramp up, said, you know what, the you know, this is supposed to be as we as we record today, today is like selection Sunday for the NCAA. Um and you're going into like the the March Madness tournament, which is huge. Um so you have all of these leagues that make hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, voluntarily saying we're closing it down for right now. It's just not worth it for our players, totally. our workers, our fans. Now, hopefully they're doing enough to like take care of the hourly workers, the people that take the tickets, that work the concession stands, that keep the facilities clean. Um, hopefully they'll be taken care of because that's one of the scary things. So you see like people going, you see places that are voluntarily closing and they're not closing because we have this leader at the top that is saying, here's what you need to do because there's an absolute lack of moral and strong leadership at the top right now. Like it's a shit show um, as far as like what the federal response has been. Um, but you see people isolating so you know what it's what it's to do you see like states and cities saying schools are closed libraries are closed all these services are going to be closed and 95 percent of the people are adhering to that yeah totally and and i, I also think, think uh, i think you that, see the five percent that are just being assholes um yeah. that jumps out but i think 95 percent of the people are doing what they're supposed to do. Um, I'll tell you who's part of that 5% that's not doing what they're supposed to is my mom and my wife's mom. (laughs) Um, So we were Skyping with my wife's mom today, who's over in England. And apparently in England, Boris Johnson is like, I would rather people get together and their herd will thin out a little bit, which is really fucked up. Um, But my wife's mom, who's in her 70s, is like, oh, yeah, we went to, like, some garden brunch today, and then to mass, and then we went to this thing. <laughs> and you're like, are you fucking kidding me right now? And then Jesus. I call, I'm like, and I made fun of my my wife. I'm like, I'm like, my mom would never do that. So I call my mom to check in because she usually goes to Maine to watch my sister's kids. And my sister is an ER nurse up in Maine, so she must be crazy right now. 
And I'm like, hey, I just want to make sure you're not going. And her husband is like, oh, she's out shopping with her friends right now. <laughs> they went. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, they just wanted to go shopping. And I'm like, and they apparently, like, the night before, they went to their condo in Maine. So my mom wanted to hang and do curtains. And then they went out to eat at the restaurant. And I'm like, we're we're staying socially isolated. So, like, you, your generation doesn't yeah. die. And my mom is like, fuck it, I've had a good run right now. <laughs> so it's kind of amazing to me, which leads me to think that the whole COVID-19 thing is like a boomer hoax so that they have, like, the streets to themselves. Like, you know, right. like, you're going to end up finding out that all these boomers, like, secretly went out and were like, we got the whole restaurant to ourselves, you know. We've got, you know, the theater to ourselves. Um, that sounds like something like Larry David would do. Oh, my God. It's crazy. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. When I heard that, I'm like, Jeez. Well, that ends, uh, I mean, I saw that WWE is doing their events with no crowd. Like, it was uh, like, I, I, I have my own feelings about WWE. Like, mm-hmm. I love some of the wrestlers, but I think McMahon's like a, just a piece of shit. Yeah. Right. But, like, I still think that the people that watch WWE, like, I think, like, that is so cool for them to still be able to, you know, mm-hmm. enjoy the entertainment, was, even though the crowd's just nowhere yeah. to be found. It was really weird. So I, I tuned into SmackDown for the first time in I don't know how long mm-hmm. on Friday night just to check. I'm like, I want to see how this this looks. They ran the same show like there was a crowd there, like everything was the same. Like they came out to entrance music. They had the <laughs> ring announcer. They had them like talking to the oh, crowd yeah. in that. They had them like talking into the mics with that cadence. Like they were talking like it was like the world's most bizarre dress rehearsal. Yeah. Um, like, and some and stuff too. Someone leaked a clip like what did they do? During commercial breaks, because when you're doing a live event, you have to still keep wrestling during live events. And apparently, like in overseas, like during the commercials, you still they, their commercial breaks are different. So you would see them just stop wrestling, basically. Oh, like oh. they would go to commercial and then they would just kind of like hang out in the ring with one another. <laughs> um and then it would like come back from commercial and they would go at it again, which I mean, I, I don't blame them. I mean, like, why would you not um, like, why would you like beat the hell out of one another? Even you know, if there's not, uh, when there's not like a make a wish, yeah. front, yeah, you know, <laughs> so it was like super bizarre. Um, but on our end here, like, so my wife and I both work in public education. My mm-hmm. wife is a school psychologist. I'm a adjustment counselor or school counselor. Um, so I, on Thursday I was fielding calls from parents, like we're keeping our kids home. Um, we're really nervous and I was pretty much sticking to the script. Like, you know, we understand if your kids are sick, please stay home. Um, there haven't been any cases in the town that my wife and I live and work in yet. Um, but I think that's just a matter of when, not if, um, but, you know, like, you know, we're right now, like, we're planning on staying open. We have extra cleaning crews. And then Thursday afternoon, we had, like, a, a planned staff meeting. And during that meeting, like, as the principal is saying, like, oh, by the way, all of a sudden, everybody's phone goes off. Like, the message comes in. We're going to close on Friday and Monday. And we're like, yeah, right. It's not going to be just two days. And then yeah. by Friday night, they're like, we're closed two weeks. My okay. That was yep. the heads. That was the amount of heads up they gave you. 
But I think that's the way it is in a lot of places. Okay. This is unprecedented. So no, totally, totally. I think that they, I mean, you got to think like Tuesday is when a lot of companies and a lot of leagues really started to close down. And I think they needed to look. One of the big things is, is in our district in particular, we provide food with breakfast and lunch for every kid in our district. Mm-hmm. And there's 18,000 children. And a lot of them really rely on those meals. So it couldn't just be like, all right, we're going to close the schools, everybody go home. You have to take into consideration, like, how are we going to feed these kids? Like, what can we set up? And they have made provisions to set up four four zones where parents can go with their children to pick up meals every day. They have to figure out the logistics of that. You have to figure out things like, is there going to be distance learning? Like, are there going to be packets? Can people, you know, internet access, like not all of our kids have internet access, yeah. let alone have a computer in their home so they can do, so they can do learning. So there was a lot of different things. I, you know, it's, they're saying two weeks. My wife also got the call Friday night. My wife, I don't think anyone from her school listens to the show, so I'll say this. My wife went to her vice principal and said, hey, there's been a lot of closures. Um, what do you, What is our plan? Like, what provisions are in place if and when this happens? And the vice principal, who makes, like, probably 150 k a year, looked at her and was like, well, I haven't heard anything about that. And it's like, you, she's like, well, I have a meeting with the superintendent and school board today, but I haven't heard anything. And it's like, what do you think the meeting's going to be about? Like, do you think it's going to be about, like, how many, like, intramural sports teams we should offer this spring? Like, yeah. what's wrong with you, lady? Um, and then literally, like, the next day, it's like, yeah, we're closed. For, she came home, and they were like, yeah, we're closed for two weeks at least right now. Jesus. So it was just like absolutely incredible what was going on. Well, what's down. crazy is I, I picked up my kids from their school Friday uh, and, you know, their teacher or my son's teacher uh, was, just, you know, chill. I mean, obviously, you know, there's concern, but nothing had happened yet. And maybe an hour later, I got a message from him on the uh, class dojo app that parents talk to teachers through. And he was just like, this is what's happening. I don't know if you've heard. Uh, but he's like, I just found out myself. So I had no time to prepare anything basically mm-hmm. to keep them, you know, keep them going. So my wife, like we were up late last night my wife was going over like, okay, what worksheets can we download? What, uh, yeah. educational videos can we, you know, queue up for them mm-hmm. to watch? Like, I, I think one of the great things that this is causing a lot of parents to do is kind of think outside the box on how to kind of like do it themselves in some ways, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I, I think that's kind of cool. But I mean, like you said, it's unprecedented. Yeah. Like, like it's, it's insane. Like, right. and, and I see some, and I'm not like judging anyone because I mean, Hey, everyone deals with things their own way, but like, it's crazy to me how everyone's having these marathons of like outbreak movies and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't want to watch that shit. Like I'm mm-hmm. to the point where I want to watch the walk to remember 24 seven. You know what oh, I mean? Like, please. no, I mean, not seriously, but you know, like, like uh, it's, it's hard for me. Cause it's like, we're all dealing with this together. Right. And, you know, and, and, you know, contrary to what I said, you know, about everyone getting nuts. Uh, when we went to Costco, nobody, I mean, it was a pretty smooth thing. Everyone was friendly. And I do think that as a society, we are in this together and mm-hmm. it, it's very important to kind of have each other's backs. And I'm, I'm, I'm Absolutely. so thankful 
I'm so thankful for things like like this this podcast or just movies in general and stuff that's like mm-hmm. helping me keep my sanity because we take these things for granted. I think I know I yeah. I tend I tend to you know I go online a lot, especially on Twitter, and oh, I love movies. But I mean, like these kind of things, it makes you realize how much entertainment or especially your family, like how much they mean to you because you're around these things 24 seven at this point. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I, and you know, like one thing I'm great, my daughter is turning 10 this year and she's getting to the point where like, she's a lot more independent mm-hmm. than she used to be overall. So things that we used to do together all the time, she wants more time with herself and her friends. And that's kind of, but you know, so I'm kind of grateful right now because we have like, these two weeks where, you know, we're doing more board games together. Like we're out in the yard playing football together. We went into like earlier today, like her and I went into like these hiking trails that have open fields. We took the dog out and like, she went, you know, like we stayed together, but then she would go and explore on her own for a bit. Um, you know, so we're going to like have two weeks where we do stuff like that with each other. Um, you know, because you know, like, she, who knows at this point how much longer that she's going to want to do things like that. Like right now, yeah. her and my wife are like baking downstairs together, you know. Um, That's awesome. We actually broke out for the first time. Like we've had it for probably five years and it's just sat on the shelf like the board game pandemic. So like we broke that out. <laughs> Isn't last it great? Night. Um, so, you know, and I think like we want to keep the show going and we might even I mean, like. I'm turning around all if I, if we're going to be shut in, like what else can we do um, to step things up a little bit? But yeah. I you know I'm not going to say that this show is important because it's not like it's really, but it yeah. has its place. And I think like podcast and movies and like write and read it, books, just like video games, they have a place right now. They offer some distraction and they offer some comfort right now. Like I have, Thousands of movies, thousands of books, untold number of video games, um, a hundred podcasts in my queue that I haven't had a chance to listen to. I'm good to go. Now, I still need to go to my counseling center like two days, two and a half days a week. Um, I'm trying to set up like distance counseling, but I don't know if I'll be able to get everybody like that. I mean... Part of it is for safety. Part of it is I kind of want to just be a bum. I'm not going to lie. Part of it is <laughs> right. like, just don't want to leave if I don't have to. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what goes on. So I think that, like, you know, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see what goes on. So on that note, like, what have you been watching? Like, what are – I'd love to hear from our listeners over Twitter um, or in our Facebook group, like, what they're – doing or watching to stay entertained but like what are you watching right now as you kind of i've been watching uh i've been watching a lot of just my favorite movies first and foremost Mm -hmm. just to kind of like feel comfortable or revisiting movies that that i i love that i haven't seen for a while uh my favorite thing in the world to do is to show my wife some any of my favorite movies that maybe she hasn't seen so I mean, I I showed her L.A. Confidential, which is like such a huge movie and yeah, book for me. it's great, great. Like, oh man, I love great I love James too. Yeah, yeah, I love James Elroy so much mm-hmm. as an author, and that movie I think is the absolute best adaption of his. Uh, that uh, Queen and Slim came out last Tuesday on Blu-ray, so I picked that up. That's what came out. What was that? Uh, Queen and Slim. Okay. 
I mean, we watched that like three or four times in the theater over mm-hmm. the holiday season. So, I mean, that was a good one. Uncut Gems came out. So that's another one. Uh, what else? Uh, oh, last night. Uh, speaking of kind of like the educational and, and what everyone's doing while this whole thing's going on and what we've been watching. Uh, last night, uh, my wife and I decided to show our kids Jojo Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just because it's a great movie, which it is, but because I feel like it's a, it's kind of the perfect movie to ease kids into maybe talking about very important things like that, you know, like world war two and that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, like showing my kids, I don't know, like 1917 or you know, like movies like that probably isn't mm-hmm. the best way to do it. So, I mean, that movie really allowed us to kind of have a good dialogue about, you know, uh, following things blindly or hatred or accepting people for who they are. And like, I cannot vouch for that movie enough as kind of a gateway to talk to your kids about very important life events and and history. Uh, So, I mean, that was like a huge thing. I rented VFW and I was supposed to watch it. I think last night or the night before I just haven't had the chance to, but I mean, that's definitely like on my list of things I want to watch like tonight or tomorrow. Yeah, VFW is is fantastic. It is one of the better movies of the year. Um, Jojo Rabbit is great. I did not understand why that movie got such a backlash come Oscar season. Well, it's it's weird because I mean it's anyone, and I'm not. I'm trying to word this right because I mean there are people on on my feed that have have kind of slammed the movie, but like. Uh, fuck it. Uh, it doesn't take a whole brain to know that it's satire. You know, You're, it's not making light of of Nazis. It's not making light of of hatred. In fact, it's kind of pointing the finger at that hatred. It's pointing the finger at how ridiculous that was. You know, mm-hmm. and and I thought that the story of a kid who was born into just following the shit blindly, finding his own humanity, mm-hmm. like I thought that was beautiful and profound. Mm-hmm. Like I don't I don't understand how anyone would have like a legitimate issue with that movie. I mean, it's cool to not like it, but I mean, you know what I mean? I don't think people know what satire is in 2020. Um, You know, but I don't, I don't know how anyone could watch that movie and think that they're portraying Hitler in a positive light. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I found that movie absolutely like gut wrenching to watch, but it had such a wonderful, message at the core of it in terms of like overcoming your biases and overcoming um your prejudice overall and like reaching out on a real personal and personal level and making real connections with people and that is really the best way to kind of overcome the, these things that we accept about others without any sort of evidence or proof of them overall i've been doing like we started lock and key oh. uh, yeah because um and now I now my Netflix account's been hacked again, second time in a month. So, yay! Um, but we watched the pilot episode of Lock and Key, and it was a little bit slow at first, mm-hmm. but it really picked up in the second half, and it's got like this really wonderful atmosphere. Um, I think the kids are really great in it overall. So I'm really interested to see where this whole thing goes. Like, and I are love- you are you familiar with the uh, the comics at all? I read the first trade paperback, but it was, like, years ago. Yeah. So I remember, like, reading that first paperback and thinking that was it because it seemed like a completely self-contained story, if I remember correctly. 
but mm-hmm. it's still going. If if unless I'm wrong, I think it's still in publication, right? Oh, there's a lot of them. Yeah, okay. there's like there's uh, I think there's whole like crossovers too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I signed up for the DC Universe app um, because I wanted to watch all the old Batman's, like the Tim Burton Batman movies, and maybe some of the animated. But I went back and I rewatched uh, Richard Donner's Superman. Oh, yeah. Still, you know, 40 years, 42 years later, probably a top five, all time top five, like superhero movie. It is perfect. Like there is there isn't a single frame or single decision that Mm -hmm. went into that movie that is wrong. Like and also it's such a pure movie. And that sounds so like cliche and like overdramatic, Mm -hmm. but it is there. There are certain movies in, in that I that I love. That I would call that, you know, it's a movie that like there's no agenda and I don't mean politically. I just mean like there's it, it just exists to make people happy. Right. And that is exactly what that movie does for me. It tells like a, a complete story. I, and, I, you know, you get Christopher Reeve is just so incredible in the role of. Yeah. So he's so incredible in that role that he's made it almost impossible for anyone to ever follow up because um, yeah. both. um Oh, God. Henry Cavill, as well as I can't think of um, a Brendan Ralph, right? Yes, who both do terrific jobs in the role overall. Just they just pale in comparison. They just absolutely pale in comparison overall to what's, what's well, that, going on. That there. and uh, that and, and my issue. Oh, good. I was going to say um, Margot Kidder in the oh, mid yeah. to late seventies. Oh my fucking god, she mm. is just like if you yeah. Perfection. I think that the second article I ever wrote for All Things Horror was like basically what a crush I have on mid seventies Margot Kidder. She's just a fucking goddess. Chain smoking, yeah. chain smoking, pill popping, hard drinking, fucking curses like <laughs> a sailor goddess. Absolutely. Uh, my biggest wrong. issue with uh, my biggest issue with both Henry Cavill as Superman and Ben Affleck as Batman was this. I thought both of them were great as those characters. They were just giving awful movies to be those yeah. characters. In. And like, I think that that's one of the many things that I love about Richard Donner's Superman. Mm-hmm. Christopher Reeve is so good as Superman, but he also has a very good movie, you know, like yeah. he's great. He's great in all four of the, the movies he was Superman in. But if you watch Superman four, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to be like, man, Chris Reeve is doing such a great job in this movie about right. nuclear man. You know what I mean? Like right. the solar man, whatever it was. Well, I, you know, I, the, the Snyder DC movies are so bad and they set the, just the, just like the tone of those movies is so far off and they set, um, they really set up like the DC universe to fail when Marvel was doing so well. And I swear to God, like, I know people absolutely love those movies, uh, like the small, like, band of people that do that fervently love them and, like, will defend them to the death. And things could go horrifically south here over the next couple months. And we could be at the edge of, like, humanity's extinction. And you would still have, like, those 20 chowderheads yelling, release the Snyder Cut. Yeah. Like, no. okay. But this is, this is what I have an issue with that. And, you know, I'm not trying to welcome, you know, those, those fanboys into our, our feed, but, uh, you know, when Zack Snyder had that big, horrible 
family tragedy while while directing Justice League. You know, I think his daughter uh, committed suicide. It was very mm-hmm. tragic. He left the production, you know, rightfully so. There were so many of those same people that were making the worst comments, you know, saying like, well, even his daughter must have hated the Snyder Universe mm-hmm. or stuff. Like there's there's so many there's no need for that right no it's it's awful and despicable mm-hmm. but those are the same idiots that are now like hyping up oh, release the Snyder cut you know release you guys don't like Zack Snyder like you know what I mean like it's it's funny how quick the tide turns because you didn't enjoy what came what what ended up being you know Joss Whedon's vision which yeah. I mean that was bad too but I mean. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I think, you know, like it wasn't like Whedon was just a gun for hire at that point, yeah. just finishing the movie. But it's not really about his his vision whatsoever, though. Um, so speaking about movies that want to make you kill yourself, I guess that <laughs> is time to move on to um, talk about Critters 4. Well, what's funny is there's a really good segue uh, in the spirit of our Critter series making weird comparisons. You know, we were talking about Jojo Rabbit and the themes of people changing. And if there's one thing that's said over and over in Critters 4, things change, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and yeah. it does. Like, like uh, you know, like we I, I asked before this before we recorded this, I asked uh, people on Twitter, you know, if any of them are fans of Critters 4, kind of why and that kind of stuff, because I really wanted to know because myself. I, it's one of the biggest examples, I think, of a like a drop off in quality. You know, like three was never one and two, but it's not four, which sounds like a weird, weird tongue twister kind of. But like Critters Four, it's it's so weird because for a movie called Critters Four, there's no there there aren't any critters for like most of the movie. You know, right? Like it's so odd, and I don't I don't get it. Because um, this, as far as I know, like Critters Four was filmed at the same time Critters Three was. Yeah, back to back. So I don't understand how. Like it's a, they're obviously both pretty low budget affairs, but Critters Three has plenty of critter act, crite action. Yeah, and that makes it a lot of fun, and the crites have some personality. We'll get into it a little bit, I guess, as we discuss the movie and. Um, I kind of want to do something we don't normally do and maybe do a little bit of a plot summary for Critters 4, maybe take like two, three minutes tops, because I just Mm -hmm. don't know how many of our listeners have actually seen Critters 4. Um, And usually this is the point in a show where you would say, if you haven't seen the movie yet, pause this show, go watch the movie and then come back because there's obviously going to be spoilers Listeners, I can't make you. I, I can't, in good conscience, tell you to go watch. <laughs> tell you to go watch Critters Four. I just can't. I feel like I would be betraying your trust. I feel like. I feel like I'd lose a little piece of my humanity. Um, it's just. You'd be like Bruce Willis. You'd be like Bruce Willis in that that uh, awful erotic thriller, Color of Night. You know that that lives his. Lives his life in total regret that he let down one of his patients by giving her wrong advice. Yeah, I just we can't do it. <laughs> so we'll do a little sum a summation. The big thing is, and I guess I'll do. Do you want to handle Jerry? Should I handle it? I got notes in front of me here. Uh, you know, you go ahead. Go ahead. I'll, let you and I'll skip through these a little bit here. So, all right. So the big thing is, Critters Four begins where Critters Three um, left off. Like it basically it replays the. Um, it replays the credit sequence 
of the movie, except this time it doesn't have all those weird pauses. It just plays it straight. So Charlie is, you know, back to being an alien bounty hunter, and he's going to destroy the last two critter eggs in the apartment building. However, he's stopped by a hologram message from his old friend and bounty hunter, Ugg. Mm-hmm. And says these eggs are the last two critters in existence, and it's against intergalactic law to cause them their extinction. So basically, Ugg tells them, hey, there is going to be a capsule that's going to be coming. You need to put the eggs in here and bring them to us overall. Okay. We fast forward from like the early 90s to the year 2045, and we are on a salvage ship, the RSS Tesla, um, who finds the pod, and then they bring it on board. Ship is crewed by a dick of a captain, Captain Rick Buttram, who I can't think is. God, I'm immature. I'm sorry. Okay, it's supposed to be Buttram, but I mean, how can you see that and not call it Dick Buttram? So it just says Rick Buttram in here, but I think it's Captain Dick Buttram as far as I'm concerned. Played by uh, Anders Hove, who had a really long stretch um, on daytime soaps, including General Hospital. Um, his crew, his crew is made up of uh, Albert Burt, uh, who's played by Brad Dourif, who we know and love from the Child Play series, who played uh, Sheriff Bracken in Rob Zombie's Halloween, who's the doctor in Deadwood, who's had like a real great turn on the X File. I mean, basically, Brad Dourif rules, y'all. Um, Pilot Fran, played by an Oscar Award nominee Angela Bassett, who, holy shit. Holy shit. Angela mm-hmm. Bissett. Um, Rob Van Dam lookalike uh, and cargo specialist Bernie. And then there's like your Leonardo DiCaprio stand in a young engineer apprentice named Ethan. So he wants to get back to Earth to see his dad. So basically they examine the pod and they get a message from the Intergalactic Council saying, hey, we want what's inside of there. We'll give you three times the going rate. Uh, Captain Dick is like, I want more money than that. Uh, and he starts hatching a scheme to kind of like extort more money and also keep all of it for himself by ditching the crew. Okay, so the crew makes its way to the station. When they get there, the facility is completely abandoned, and they notice like there's this barely able to go central computer named Angela. Uh, that for some reason, if you give it an order, it will only complete that order if you then repeat it with the opposite instruction. So if you're like, need some doors open, you have to say, shut the door. It's really weird. Um, they also find out that there's like a nuclear reactor on site that they don't think is going to go critical for over a month, but you know, that doesn't quite seem to be the case. Um, Ethan stumbles upon Rick tamp- tampering with the pawn pod. Rick knocks him out, opens the pod, and outbursts Charlie 50 years later. Still has that five o'clock shadow, the buck teeth. <laughs> it's know. like time stops, time stands still. Yeah. Don Opper, like, is not afraid to go ugly in his role as Charlie. Because Don Opper's like a pretty handsome dude. Like, when you see him not as Charlie, he's, you know, does not look like this. Um, yeah. so Captain Dick is pretty pissed off that he doesn't like no one wants to pay for Charlie, which I believe that. So he goes looking through the pod and then folks, 34 minutes into Critters 4, <laughs> 34 fucking minutes in, you get your first critter action and you actually get a pretty cool death here. One of the critters crawls into 
Captain Dick Buttram's mouth <laughs> and basically eats him out from the inside. Like he eats all his like throat and whatever. And it's like a pretty close up shots. Right? But all you see is like these two little legs and a furry butthole sticking out of the mouth of Captain Dick. And then he keels over and dies. Um, Charlie tries to shoot the critters, but they get away. He revives Ethan. He goes with the rest of the crew and tells them what these things actually are. And then he learns that he is 50 years in the future and everybody he knew and loved, especially probably Brad, they're probably dead by now, which is really sad. Um, Ethan uses a computer computer key card he found. He goes into a lab and he finds this report that says that basically this lab was conducting research on all these different alien organisms to use as a bioweapon. Unfortunately, the creations can't reproduce on their own, so she needed to find a suitable organism that could re- reproduce quickly. And lo and behold, what do you know? What do you have on site? But you have the Kreitz, who are very good at this. Um Rob Van Dam slash Bernie sneaks into the pharmacy because he wants to steal some drugs because that's what you do. The critters sneak up on him and eat him at this point. Um, Angela announces, like, hey, on top of having man-eating aliens, the nuclear reactor is going to blow up within about eh, 30 minutes as well, which is about how much time is left in this god-awful movie at this point. Um, Albert then realizes the reactor is in far worse shape than he originally thought, which is obvious because he said it will blow up for a month, and now they're saying you have like an hour at most. Um, the critters have made their way onto the Tesla. They're going to make their way over to Earth. And at that point, Ugg shows up. And Ugg is no longer the kind, friendly bounter hunter, bounty hunter that was best buds with Charlie. Like, Ugg is an asshole at this point. He kills yeah. Bert, slaps Angela Pissette around. Like, you know, like you can tell Angela's preparing for the role and what's love got to do with it. Because she gets <laughs> cracked across the face. Like, Ugg oh goes full fucking Ike Turner on her here. And Charlie asks, you know, what all of us are asking, like, why he's like things change um the critters then get away Ugg gets away basically it all wraps up with like a mexican standoff where you have Ugg pointing a gun at uh ethan charlie pointing a gun at Ugg. Ugg is like you don't have the balls to shoot me charlie then puts two in the head of Ugg and says things change at that point, the crew and Charlie, um, having defeated the critters and having defeated Ugg, um, make their way to their ship and they escape with like moments before the nuclear reactor goes off and they are on their way back to Earth to reunite with Ethan's family. The critters are now extinct. Charlie, Fran, and Ethan continue their voyage. Charlie contemplates on how the future will look bright for him by putting on some blue blocker sunglasses and flying away. Mm-hmm. And that's Critters 4. Yeah. Folks, yeah. that was about three minutes of a summation. It was, it was even worse than that. It was bad. It was really well, bad. It's, it's crazy because you get such an excellent cast. I mean, uh, Angela Bassett or whatever, uh, Brad Dourif. I mean, Brad Dourif is probably one of my five favorite actors of mm-hmm. all time. I mean, not just, I mean, The Exorcist 3 is, I mean, I love The Exorcist 3 just as much as I love Halloween. And he is so good in that. 
and you can tell that Brad Dourif is acting his ass off in this movie. And you get great performances from actors that are just, they have no business being in this movie. I mean, right. even like the, the, you know, Rob Van Dam uh, clone. I mean, uh, that he played Leo in Twin Peaks. You know what I mean? Like you get all these mm-hmm. like interesting, interesting characters. Anders Hove, you know, subspecies, you know, like there's I so, mean, there's so much. I mean, I'm not saying he was the acting is amazing in subspecies, mm-hmm. but I mean, you get people that you recognize great people, but it's just, they don't give them anything. And this movie, it, the weird thing to me is it doesn't feel like a critters movie at all. It feels no. like, it feels like the people making it, said, you know what, we really love Alien, so let's give our viewers 45 minutes at least of a really bad Alien knockoff. And then, you know, let's give them some double-crossing in a standoff movie at the end about people changing. Like, it's, it feels like an HBO movie from the 90s. It's not about know? the critters, like... At the all. The critters have, like, very next to nothing to do. I mean, like you were saying about Brad Dourif, by this point, Brad Dourif has done... The first three child play movies he's done. He's been in Dune. He's done um, The Exorcist three at I this mean, point where he was nominated over the Saturn. cuckoo's nest. Yeah. You know? you know, he's been in Mississippi Burning where he was nominated yeah. by the Chicago film Chris. So, you know, it's not like it's just, a, just an early role for him. And he's like finding his footing like Brad Dourif at this point is pretty much the man at this point. So there's like, you know, it's. And he he is great in this movie. Like he is one of the uh, you know when he's like the way he delivers, and you can see shades of Doc from Deadwood in a lot of his line delivery here. He's like, yeah. can you please not shoot a gun in the cockpit?" You know when he's getting pissed off at Charlie. Like he is a lot of fun. But what is Angela Bassett doing in this movie? Like she she's hot shit. Yeah, she like no? she's this wasn't like her. F- first movie i don't think you know and it was and it's it's like yeah. what like a year or two later she did what's love got to do with it like it was that's why I was, I was telling my wife that, that uh this morning when i, I rewatched Creator sports like not even five years earlier brad Dourif gave what is in my opinion one of his best performances ever in the exorcist three mm-hmm. i mean maybe like two maybe two years earlier three mm-hmm. and it's just like to go like that big of a jump or angela bassett from that to like What's love got to do with it? Which, I mean, if we keep bringing that up, I mean, I'm going to gush about that because I love that movie so Mm -hmm. much. But, like, it's so interesting to see such a jump in quality of uh, roles from these actors just within the span of a year or two before or after. Right. I mean, uh, Critters 2 is filmed in 92. 1993, she's she's playing Tina Turner in What's Love Got to Do With It. Then she's with Spike Lee doing Malcolm X. She played Rosa Parks and was nominated mm-hmm. for an Emmy for her role in, as a Rosa Parks in 19, uh, I think 1997, 1995. She works with Wes Craven and does vampire in Brooklyn. Um, she works with um, Catherine Bigelow off a script written by James Cameron with strange days. She oh. does waiting to exhale. Um, and then in 1998, she does probably the role that she's most well-known for. Um, she stars as the titular character in How Stella Got Her Groove Back, which was a massive hit for her yeah. overall. And she still wore I mean, She was in Black Panther a couple years ago. She's still 
you know, working to this day uh, very, very steadily. So you see her here, and again, like, she in her role is fine here, in here but you have this, like, terrific cast, and it's it's just, it's wasted on whatever it, is going on here. It's wasted, and it also gives, and this is what I loved about the first three critters, that as, by the book, as, as they were at times, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they're not, it's not like, you know, on the waterfront or, you know, like these great cinematic, you know what I mean? Like, it's not that, but they never felt like they were just stereotypes. Mm-hmm. This movie, it feels like every character is a trope from similar mm-hmm. movies. Like you have the misunderstood kid with the bowl haircut. You know what I mean? Like every fucking movie around that time had well, that character. You saw that. And, the, you know, he looked so much. He was like even dressed in the same clothes. He had the same haircut as like Leonardo DiCaprio did. No, totally. And it's, it's just like, I don't want to see a movie where I'm looking at like tween version of myself, you know? Right. I mean? <laughs> and you can't say that it was done that way because like by that point, DiCaprio had been a breakout star. Like these movies were filmed at the same time as one another. So, you know, it's not like they knew that Leo was going to go on to, you know, do Romeo and Juliet and work you know, with like, Scorsese People talk about how many movies Nicolas Cage does a year, and I'm one of them. Like, like it's an ongoing joke that every time I go to Walmart or Target, like I'll tell my my son or my daughter, like, mm-hmm. look up, count how many Nicolas Cage movies you can see, you know. <laughs> but, but like, I understand actors got to take movies just to pay the bills sometimes, and that's fine. But it, it, and I can't stress enough how weird it is for me to see Brad Dourif in this movie because I mean. There has never been a, a point in his career where he, where he was kind of like suffering as far as acting. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he gives, even this movie, he gives it 200%. I mean, like, like you believe that he is this person as silly as that sounds, you know? Like, he's just chewing gum the whole time, talking about very specific mm-hmm. computer things. And, like, I, I think it's funny that, like, in a lot of movies like this, they try to come up with these interesting names for the characters because it's the future. His name's not Albert, but his name is Al Bert. Like, mm-hmm. It's so silly, you know? Yeah. It's a bit, and we never get any sort of like, is Earth a hellhole at this point, or is it yeah. like, you never get any sort of like, reasoning as to why they're so far off in space. And I know that they're mean i know that they're like heading back towards earth overall but you don't really get a sense for like why they're drifting so far off and it's not that you have to get super deep into it um here's my question what happened to ugg's character between three and four i think and it's kind of you know uh it's got a good point that nat brimmer kind of Try, tried to make, you know, I think very subtly in the episodes he was on because he didn't want to spoil anything. I think it really does go back to that first movie where Ugg showed up blowing everything up without any regard for anyone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He wasn't a hero. He was there to get a job done. And I think maybe he got an attachment to, you know, Lee and, you know, his fellow bounty hunters and that kind of stuff. And like we said last episode, that's kind of where he started to change. You know, it's because of his actions and that carelessness that he lost everything. And I think in hindsight, I don't think Ugg was ever specifically a good guy. Maybe that's just the way that we saw mm-hmm. him. You know, I, I think that this version of Ugg 
is kind of his true colors going back to the first film, not caring about humanity, not caring about the people that would be hurt and getting the job done. He has a job done. He has a job to do in this movie and he doesn't care who he has to kill to do it. Mm-hmm. But I think even, um, even in part one, like once they leave the bowling alley and the, the two bounty hunters, uh, Ugg and his partner leave the bowling alley and they make their way over to the Brown farm. Like, from that point on, you see Ugg, like, caring about the people that are there. Like, he goes out of his way to protect Brad. He goes out of his way to protect the family. And you see that shift. And I like what you're saying. So you see that shift in how he's seeing the other people. So it does make him a good guy. It makes him, like, capable of growth and capable of moving on. And I think what's really weird is – you and you've seen him for three movies now like that. So yeah. – I don't understand. You basically have this character show up, murder Brad Dourif, which like, what the fuck? Don't don't hurt Brad Dourif. Um, but and then you see that happen. <coughs> excuse me. Um, and there's no explanation. He just says, well, things change. Yeah, and that, the script I, is still by David Shaw, isn't it? I mean, it's not. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, I, I you know, it's it's interesting, like. I think on one end, maybe it's perfect character development and an interesting character arc. And on the other end, I think maybe it's the lack thereof. Like, I'm not kind of I'm not quite sure where I I stand on that, because it kind of seems like maybe like a a little bit of both. Like, Mm -hmm. I love that. I love the arc of of uh, between all the movies that, you know, he starts out kind of blowing shit up and then he becomes somebody you Mm -hmm. really like. And it almost feels like a gut punch when that gets turned around in the fourth movie. Like it almost feels like a betrayal of some sorts, you know, and because it is. But I also think that it shows – I think by Ugg doing that, and especially in this movie, it really shows how great of an arc Charlie has gotten, you know? Because mm-hmm. that – Ugg and Lee, uh, like aside from Brad, who went off and ditched Charlie, you know, aside from that, like Ugg and Lee were – kind of charlie's family they were the only people that accepted him and didn't make him feel like you know an outcast like a loser mm-hmm. and just to see ug kind of turn turn on him like that and to have such a non-answer for it you know charlie wants to know what happened and he gets that things change you know like it's a slap to the face and i think that at that end with charlie shooting ug and saying the same thing i think it's such a good closure and wraparound for charlie to come to terms and realize that he doesn't need someone else to feel like he's worth a shit. That you mm-hmm. know, it's it's himself. And I, you know, that might be a little too deep for like a creators movie, but I really do feel that that is the motivation for it. I think it's to mm-hmm. really show Charlie's arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe you're sacrificing Ugg for Charlie at that point. But I just think that they're, I don't know. It just felt like there's room for a bit more. It's a bit when there's so little to really attach yourself to yeah. in this movie, when a character that's now been there for four films um, just shows up and he's like, he'll turn and there's no explanation. Like, you know, we were talking about pro wrestling earlier. Like when a character turns heel, meaning when he goes from being a good guy, guy to a bad guy, you usually get an explanation for it. This is why I did it. You know, I mean, even in something is light is pro wrestling you still have character motivations usually um well, it's a big deal you know mm-hmm. what i mean like like 
if anyone is into wrestling, I mean, one of the biggest heel turns that caught everyone off guard was, you know, when, uh, uh, why am I drawing a blank? The Shield, mm-hmm. you know, when... Uh, oh, Seth God. Rollins. Yeah, I, like, that was like, whoa. And this one's just like, nope, I'm bad. You know, here's a non-answer. Here's nothing. I mean, think of Hulk Hogan turning heel at Back oh. to the Beach. Right, nineteen ninety five, or or like 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 Shawn Michaels kicking Marty Jannetty through a oh man, like <laughs> But if you if you but if you remember, um, Bobby the Brain Heenan, broadcast journalist extraordinaire, uh, <laughs> says that Jannetty threw himself through that window. And, yeah, and, yeah. And trying to help himself out, or like Macho Man turning on on Hulk Hogan. Like, yeah. You know, I, I like I hate to use the word soap opera with wrestling because I don't mean it as an insult, but there's so much drama, there's so much like great storytelling that when someone turns heel, it's such a massive thing. Where this movie, you take one of the main characters that like you're saying, a lot of people do consider one of the heroes, and he has such a disregard for mm-hmm. the characters that like were his buds. It's so weird. It's a very, very, very strange thing to see there. Um, the other thing, like why so few critters in this movie? I don't get it. Like why the lack of critters? I don't understand that either. Like I, I could understand if this movie was made like five years after three and they didn't know where they wanted to go with it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like you said, like this movie was made back to back with three, you know, I, I think maybe even simultaneously. Uh, so it's, it's weird that like a movie so critter heavy as three, like you go to the fourth film and like, like you said, like it takes like what 40, 35, 40 minutes for them to even appear. Mm-hmm. And it's by then, by then you kind of forget that you're watching a critters movie. Like sincerely, I'm not even as a joke. Like I was watching it this morning and I kind of lost track of like, wait, what am I watching right now? You know, like, and when it does happen, the kills are fun. I mean, the, the, when, when butt ram gets killed, <laughs> anyways, when that guy gets killed, God, I'm immature. Like how it's by the way, how do they not they miss the easy layup of having like the critter like go straight up his butt and eat him that way as opposed to the mouth? Like how do you right? how do you miss that? That one that's a freebie right there. Yeah, like it's such a missed opportunity. Uh but you know, like the kills are fun. They're practical. I mean th- there's close-up shots of, of the Krites like going in his throat and just like, you know, tearing shit up basically. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a passable movie once that 45 minute slump is over, but it's by then you don't care. And when you see the Krites after that, it's just like kind of more of the same, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I think it lacks a lot of the, uh, just interesting approach and outside the box sequences that we got in the first three films. I mean, there's no hanging upside down with a phone like the third movie to laugh about. You know, the most we get in this one is, I mean, you just look at Eric DeRay's ponytail the whole movie and, and giggle, you know? Yeah. Like, or like, basically, what this movie is to me is I'm seeing all these different characters from other movies that I like live inside of Alien. You know, seeing like mm-hmm. seeing the main bad guy from Subspecies spying on Angela Bassett in the shower. It's like, it's so creepy. You know, or seeing like the Gemini killer from Exorcist Three chewing gum. You know, arguing with a computer. Like that's 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 what I have to do to myself to like sit through this movie. And I wait. And I'm was, just, huh? Am I missing? So was Captain Buttram? Was he Radu? Yes. Holy shit! Home. How did I not know that? Yeah. 
I love the subspecies movies. Yeah, I can't believe too. I missed that. Isn't that nuts? Wow. Yeah. I can't believe I missed that. Okay. Yeah, so it's like all these different great actors, like in this movie that you could tell and you know, I'm I'm not quoting them, but, you know, if, if Brad Durf wants to call me or, or tweet me and say, hey, you're fucking wrong, buddy. But I can almost swear that every one of these actors knows they're in a movie that is not good at all. Mm-hmm. But, and I think that that's what makes it kind of funny to watch sometimes is because they they're they're not even overacting. They are acting their asses off in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like Brad Dourif, he is approaching this movie the same as he did as like I don't know, like Eyes of Laura Mars, which is such mm-hmm. a like another great movie he's in. Like he is treating this movie like it is Mississippi Burning, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and well, Dur- I think Dourif is incapable of putting in a poor performance. I just don't think that that's something he's able to do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Did you ever, did you see the the making of Exorcist Three on the Screen Factory release? I have not. No. Oh my god! I have the. So I think I have the old school DVD of that movie. So. Oh, the Screen Factory release, the Blu-ray. I could not recommend that enough. Uh, mostly because it's the third greatest movie of all time. But uh, they talked to him about it, and he goes into his process for roles, and he 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 basically demanded that they send a, a a PA or someone to basically run lines with them for hours in his motel room until he memorizes it, and he approaches it so seriously. And mm-hmm. so professionally that I could imagine him quoting all these lines, performing all these critters four lines in a hotel room to a PA and still acting like it's like, I don't know, in like a Sidney Poitier role, role, you know, like it's it's so funny to watch. Actually, yeah, it's oh, man, now I'm trying to imagine that. And it's kind of terrifying. <laughs> kind of like, kind of Brad terrifying. Stewart, butt ram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, man. So, hey, speaking of Scream Factory, is our friend Justin Beam still there or is he kicked up to Paramount now? He, he well, what happens with Justin is he runs Reverend Entertainment. Uh, he's not an official employee of Scream Factory. What he does is anytime Scream Factory releases a whole bunch of titles, they'll be like, you know what? I feel like Justin would be perfect for this title. Uh, let's, okay. Let's ask him. Or uh, I know. I know uh, Sean Clark's company does some of them like that, but it's just mm-hmm. happens that Beam does so many of them that he kind of gets put alongside them. He still does stuff for Scream Factory. The last time I talked to him, we hopped on the phone a week or two ago, I believe. That, but he also has this really great partnership with with Paramount now. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not just doing genre films. Uh, you know, he's working on films like Chinatown and stuff yeah. like that, which is amazing. You know, I'm so happy for him. Well, it's super well deserved. I mean, not only because Justin's an awesome dude, but like the work he puts in is so top notch. So everything good that goes Justin's way is super well deserved. So, oh, hey, Justin. Justin. Um, all right, back to sad things like Critters 4. Just so. Another thing that maybe we haven't uh, discussed yet is the voice of Angela, the, the computer. Mm hmm. It's Martine Beswick from from Russia with Love and Thunderballs. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, critters, I think, considering it's you know a five film franchise and really at this point four movies, the amount of st- it's the most stacked franchise in terms of overall talent that they were able to get for these movies. Oh, totally. That and like and this is your result. It is. And it's so weird to hear that because 
to hear, you know, Bestwick in this movie because, I mean, she's the star of my favorite Hammer movie of all time, Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. Oh, like, okay. you get, oh, you get so many great actors in Critters 4, you know? Like, you so many. And it's just like the casting director should be the one uh, we should be talking about them because, I mean, genius, you know? Like, mm-hmm. can you imagine that and be like, I mean, I know some of them weren't as known, you know, as as they are now, but just even like writing that down on a paper, it, like if I wrote Critters 4 on a paper and they wrote the name of every big cast member in that movie and I gave it to someone who had never seen Critters 4, they would not believe me that that movie no. existed. Do you think that was you're, – you're lying to me at this point. So, yeah, it's pretty incredible that like four movies in – to this, to the second direct-to-video sequel movie that's direct-to-video, your third sequel to what was a minor hit, and you're getting like future Academy Award nominees at that point. On top well, of even, just getting an Academy Award winner in Critters Three. No, totally. And even people that I mean, uh, Anne Ramsey is the kind of doctor that they find the you know the footage of the experiments and that kind of stuff. I mean, she she played Deborah Lo- or Sarah Logan in the taking of Deborah Logan, which was a, I mean, such a great genre movie. I mean, I'm sure like most of our listeners love that movie. The taking of Deborah Logan's great. Or I mean, she was in like A League of Their Own, uh, you know, Planet of the Apes. So many good movies like mm-hmm. the casting. I mean, I can't stress that enough. The casting of this movie is is just out of this world. Yeah, absolutely. Positive. Absolutely. What else do we have on Critters 4 at this point? Uh, don't watch it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no. I do think that – see, what Critters 4 does have, and and uh, I can't remember who. I think it might have been Brett Gilman on Twitter said this, and I agree 100%, is Charlie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Critters 4 can be as bad as it is, but it still has that heart that Charlie represents mm. And even as bad as the movie is, like we, we said about the other performances, Don Opper gives it his all with Charlie. You believe every single thing he does. And Critters 4 is the last movie in the series to to give that heart to its audience. It's the last movie, and I, I think I agree with Brett. I, I think that's who said it on Twitter. I agree in his statement that that the, the most recent films, you know, the TV show and, the, and Critters Attack, that is what they're lacking they're lacking Charlie. They're lacking that heart that made the series so special that even as bad as Critters 4 is, it still feels like it's a part of the other movies mm-hmm. because it has that heart in that character. Mm. Yeah, so this is the end of the run for the original Critters series. It was, I guess, rebooted with Critters Attack in 2019. I think it appears on Shudder. Um, if you for folks that want to watch it ahead, it premiered on the Sci-Fi Network in 2018 or 2019. Um, we well, with I, that one with that one really quickly, we get D. Wallace returning to mm-hmm. the series as Helen Brown, but there were le- a bunch of legal issues that prevented them then for using that name. Mm-hmm. So she plays a character called Aunt D. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is funny because I have an Aunt D, but uh, mm-hmm. she's playing she's playing Helen Brown coming back in the series. It's just she can't be Helen Brown. But aside mm-hmm. from that, it's really nothing that that comes from you know what we loved in that movie. It's fun, but it's not the critters that we love. All right, so critters, you know, 
Critters 1, Critters 2, I enjoyed thoroughly. Critters 3 had more than its share of moments. Critters 4, can't say that I'm ever going to pop this one on again. <laughs> yeah. At this point, can't say. I, I, tell, I tell myself the same thing, and then and then, and then then we do the Critter series. <laughs> yeah. Which you suggested, by the way. This no, is, no, no. I'm, this I'm, is I'm your fault. Part. This is I'm your fault. Uh, I well, mean, you are responsible so far for Jason Goes to Manhattan. You're responsible for Halloween Resurrection. And Resurrection. Ugh. I'm sorry, guys. Ugh. <laughs> I'm responsible for Book of Shadows and the tribe. So, you know, I really can't I really can't but really throw that much shade. I, I think we both kind of agreed on Creep Show for the next series. So we did. I, Creep Show so here's what gets to Creep Show three. Uh, <laughs> I think yeah. when we get to Creep Show three, you might hear me just talk more about the series on Shutter. I don't know. Um, maybe we'll get AJ Bowen for Creep Show three. Oh, yeah, it was like one of his first movies. You know, at least add some fun to it. Do it and take it very serious. And you just like, <laughs> tell me about all the decisions went into your character. Character uh, Yeah. So. You know, if we still have a planet by then, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, it could just be all crickets and like frogs and who knows by that point. Who freaking knows? So we are, this is our official 49th episode. We yes. have done more than 50 episodes, but those are kind of mini bonus episodes that um, don't really, we didn't really count them in our number. Uh, we didn't really count them in terms of what we were numbering them at all. So um so for episode 50 we want to do something very special mm-hmm. what did we decide on okay are we doing that i'm down i think we're doing it yeah okay now i think the question we need to determine is it is it going to be a i don't even want to call it a fan commentary because that would imply that <laughs> one of the parties it actually likes the movie um I- I say so commentary. For you that. want to do a commentary? All right. Oh, so yeah. you're going to hear me do my taxes live <laughs> on this commentary, and it will be more exciting in the first hour. I mean, we talked about Curtis for the first hour being pain to get to. The first hour of this movie we're going to do is just it's amazing. Oh my god, it's so awful. To do, listeners, is we're going to do a commentary for the episode fifty. And the commentary is going to be on a movie that Mike swore we would never tackle. I know. And it's the I end of the world, that, though. I figure for the end of the world. If it is the end of the world, then we're going to do a commentary on fucking Mandy. Mandy. Mike's most hated film oh. of all time. A movie I love so much. It will be fun. It will be a lot, a lot of fun. So, yeah, that's the- nice. The difference in opinion that Jerry and I have over this movie, like marriages have ended over less overall. So it is, yeah, it's going to be very interesting Um, because we do try to be pretty positive here. We do. I mean, you know, we try not to trash things. Um, And I'm hoping that I just talked about I just talked about the heart and soul of Critters 4. So, I mean, if that's an example, it's trying to be positive, something bad. (laughs) So, I mean, um, what I'm excited about is 
I've always wanted to know what it would be like to have like a Jeff Jarrett cosplayer be your main bad guy in a shitty horror movie. And I'm going to get to, you know, experience that again and talk about it when we talk about Mandy, <laughs> which is going to be super cool. Um, speaking of Jeff Jarrett in the WWE. So by the time this episode comes out, which will be uh, June, sorry, June, March 16th, 316 day. Um, that is the day or that is really the catchphrase of the greatest sports entertainer slash pro wrestler of all time. One stone cold, Steve Austin in Austin three sixteen. So I thought it would be really fun tonight to leave the show and leave listeners with the, and I'm not going to say it is the greatest promo of all time. Cause I still think that that honor goes to dusty Rhodes the American dream and the hard times promo. Uh, but maybe the most important professional wrestling promo of all time, Austin three sixteen. So yes. we're going to leave our listeners with that tonight. Um, go ahead and follow us over on Twitter at pod and pendulum. Um, I think we might try to do some, maybe some like live tweets of movies, I'm going to reach out to some other podcasts and see if we can do some stuff like that. Because let's face it, we are all shut in right now. We are all um, we are all kind of scared. We are all kind of nervous. Um, go ahead and listen along. I think it's a time for everyone to get together. Jerry, any final words before we get out of here? You know, all I can say is hang in there, everyone. I know it sounds dramatic, but we are living in a time where it's just weird. It's confusing. Everyone's looking for hope. Uh, What I love to do is try to be that. You know, I'm I'm human. Everyone's human, so we fail. But try to remain positive. It's so easy to go online and shit on everything and say, oh, it's not a big deal. Like, I mean, Devin Nunes, which is from my hometown, just said that he doesn't think it's a big deal, that everyone should go to bars and go out to restaurants don't be that asshole, no. you know, take care of each other, take care of your loved ones, uh, watch your favorite movie, watch movies you haven't watched, read every single movie that Douglas Copeland uh, ever wrote, uh, have fun. Uh, if you find yourself bored or wanting to talk movies, I mean, like always, feel free to tweet at us, uh, you know, enjoy yourselves, take care. Yeah. Yep. All right, listeners, thanks very much. Everyone have a great week and we are out. You'll find me heading up the social media while drinking a can of beer. And I'm Jess. I'm the witchy spister who can be found behind the scenes crafting. And we are the spinsters of horror. We have a monthly horror podcast called I Spin on Your Podcast. Which is semi-academic with a dash of feminism and we aren't afraid to tackle tough subject matter or just have a little fun. You can find us on our website at www.spinstersofhorror.com. Follow us on Twitter at Horror Spinsters. You can find the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. And remember, the future of fear is female. The fourth prestigious King of the Ring, Stone Cold Steve Austin, an incredible victory. The first thing I want to be done is to get that piece of crap out of my ring. Don't just get him out of the ring, get him out of the WWF. Because I've proved, son, without a shadow of a doubt, you ain't got what it takes anymore. 
You sit there and you thump your Bible and you say your prayers and it didn't get you anywhere. Talk about your Psalms, talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 says I just whipped your ass. Come on, that's not necessary. All he's gotta do is go buy him a cheap bottle of Thunderbird and try to dig back some of that courage he had in his prime. As the king of the ring, I'm serving notice to every one of the WWF superstars. I don't give a damn what they are. They're all on the list, and that's Stone Cold's list, and I'm fixing to start running through all of them. As far as this championship match is considered, son, I don't give a damn if it's Davey Boy Smith or Shawn Michaels. Steve Austin's time has come. And when I get the shot, you're looking at the next WWF champion. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. Obviously, anything but humble, the fourth prestigious king of the ring, Stone Cold Steve Austin.